And now, whether you like it or not, this is Bizarre Podcast Dogs Must Die. My name is Grant. You can call him Chip. And we are talking about the next three episodes of Stardust Crusaders, episodes 16 through 18. After, you know, we had that last stretch of three where it's like, you know, it's eh, it's okay, but, you know, kind of pales in comparison to the, the three before that. I feel like we get a little bit of an uptick with these three episodes. Yeah, we, we are definitely back, back on point uh, yeah. with, with this portion, I would say. <laughs> I, I am very curious to to hear your thoughts on on this the first two episodes here the two parter the lovers yes episode sixteen the lovers part one uh, we are continuing on our westward generally at least journey mm-hmm. <laughs> through Asia it, it's time for a map update mm-hmm. uh, we we've gone from the mountainous north of Pakistan uh, all the way through the length of the country to head toward Karachi on the ocean coast we we get to see their Yet another new mode of transportation here, because we're yeah. going through basically every single way to propel yourself forward in this in Stardust Crusaders. They have somehow gotten a hold of the world's wackiest looking horse and, ca- and carriage. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the fuck this thing is. It's the narrator even <laughs> says they have a new carriage to boot. Like, yeah, that's an understatement. What? It's so gaudy. Yeah, it's it's not just that it's got like five different colors on it with like little triangles and circles and squares drawn all over it it's got like ornamentation on it Mm -hmm. like i don't know where did you find this this feels like they stole it from some royalty or something where's the anime only scene that does explain yes the acquisition of this oh i want it this is a chariot this is (laughs) this is like a royal carriage (laughs) yeah i really want to know where and how they got that but when I say they, we're talking about uh, Jotaro, Joseph, Polnareff, Kakuin, and Enyaba still in captivity. Mm-hmm. So, so we're coming into Karachi in the outskirts, and it's taken a, a trip nearly across the entire breadth of Asia for Joseph to be excited about a food <laughs> to try. <laughs> Ooh, a kebab place is coming up. It's finally his turn. Yeah. He loves Donner Kebab, and he's going to get some for everybody. And the, the narrator pops in to say, hey, this is the hamburger of the Middle East. <laughs> this is what he pipes in to say. <laughs> This episode is surprisingly narrator-heavy because he has yeah. to, uh, well, narrate the blow-by-blow of the most strategically intricate fight scene we've had, <laughs> I think, in all of JoJo's, yeah. which is haggling over the price of five Donner Kebabs. Yeah. God. This is in the manga, too, if I remember correctly. This isn't like an anime-only thing to stretch the episode out. There is like I a, should hope so. There's like a three-page spread of, yeah, jo- Joseph just talking to this dude, haggling down the price. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And we aren't just seeing it. No, we are getting like bald-faced bear narration talking about uh, the importance of every single gesture and mm-hmm. the math involved, both in terms of ritual and strategy, as they go down from an initial offer of from a thousand yen to uh, the, the first counter offer is 300. And then, yeah, they get up to like 425. Yeah. I thought Joseph's initial shock at the initial quote was that this this guy with a roadside stand in Karachi w- had prices in yen that he would accept <laughs> Japanese money? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is also when I was rewatching these, thinking that's why he was surprised. But no, Joseph isn't thinking it's weird. This guy said yen. He just wants the kebabs for less. <laughs> 
I got to remember that, like, yeah, th- these are like 1988 prices, 1990 prices. Yeah. Five kebabs for 10 bucks seems really good, actually, now to me. Yeah, that seems perfectly fine. You, you get the whole play by play. The kebab is always rotating in the background because it's a CG kebab. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening to the, the Japanese dub, there's a lot of random English phrases thrown in from the, sh- the, the shopkeeper here. <laughs> Ooh, that are really goofy ooh. sounding a lot of bye-bye thank yous and all that uh oh. <laughs> yeah but but joseph you know finally gets the kebabs turns around goes back to their very fancy carriage and immediately drops the kebabs on the ground because he knows that Inyaba is awake now just yes. wide-eyed still not doing anything everyone who's sitting right in front of her has not realized this old, <laughs> old lady has woken up mm-hmm. uh this can't be the first time she's woken up. They took a horse and buggy all the way through the length of Pakistan. <laughs> but Enya's freaking out. Uh, she she is looking straight at the, the kebab guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is sweating. Her her eyes are darting all over the place. She She's muttering to herself that, like, you know, why are you here? I haven't told anybody about the secret of Lord Dio's stand. You know, I have been loyal and all this. Mm-hmm. And the, the kebab guy... Who, the instant you see him, you know he's going to be, like, a guy. <laughs> that right there, that's a guy. That's a guy. But he pulls his, his hood down. Yeah, now he's a, he's a JoJo villain. He's got the hair for it. He does a little pose. And as that reveal happens, uh, a whole bunch of meaty tentacles shoot out of every <laughs> hole of Enya's body. Her eyeballs, and they make her... some new holes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most of them seem to be coming out around her eyeball. Yeah. Her nose, her her nostrils are coming out of there. It's pretty gross. It's incredibly gross. They're they're like four feet long and just like waggling around. Yeah, terrible, terrible things to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like the the implication that Dio's evil plans are funded by kebab stands <laughs> across the globe. <laughs> well, at the price they're selling them, yeah, it's can fund a lot of vampire activities with that money. This is how we take him down. We, we attack his finances, one <laughs> kebab stand at a time. Dio Brando, you're under investigation for tax fraud. <laughs> Yen is not legal tender here. What are you doing? That's the first sign this is money laundering. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, all those tentacles are shooting out of Enya's face, and it like utterly destroys the carriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such forceful tentacles. Uh, and yeah, so everyone has to hop out of the carriage. It falls to pieces. The horse gets spooked. Once that happens, this guy... T- Fully takes his robe off to reveal his evil bad guy outfit, which just looks like he's ready to go to the disco, kind of. Yeah, he's another one of the the hunky pretty boys. Yeah. Yeah. And he introduces himself, the the English dub or, or, or translation where they have to rename a lot of the characters. His name is Dan of Steel <laughs> instead of Steely Dan. <laughs> now, th- this might not win me any any like uh, uh, fans or accolades, but I got to be honest. I love that movie, Dan of Steel. <laughs> it's great. I I love the way they say my stand represents. Like, yeah. In what way? How? It's, shouldn't it be the other way around? Your stand is represented by a tarot card. Yeah. But no, no. Uh, Dan's stand represents the lovers. Uh, the, the lovers signify attraction, love, beauty, trials overcome. I, I don't know. I I think we're getting to a point where the, the ideas for stands left in the author's head and the uh, um, tarot cards left unused do not always match up. No. Yeah. Especially this. Yeah. Dan himself 
being described by the lover's card that fits he he seems to be the the suave hunky boy uh that that i'm sure has ladies just slobbing over his kebab but uh (laughs) the stand not so much it'll be a bit before we actually see his stand but nah (laughs) dan is steel i love it Mm -hmm. and yeah enya is just on the ground blood explode just erupting from her face Mm -hmm. her whole face and who runs to her aid Polnareff. Yeah. Jean-Pierre Polnareff cares for the safety of the lady that wanted to torture him to death. He's just that uh chivalrous. It's still she's still an old lady. He's developing the the big heroic heart. Yeah, he Th- is. This is the mother and caretaker and defender of Centerfold of all people, but he still cares for her. It's like, I don't know, the whole gang throughout Star's Crusaders like they ha- they have killed multiple stand users at this point, but it's only if they have to there's multiple times throughout this where they do not kill the stand users outright, <laughs> like because they don't want to. <laughs> like there, there is another point later where I'm going to reiterate this, but mm. I think that we are seeing uh, through the course of, of uh, Stardust Crusaders the whole group becoming much more heroic, like capital mm. H heroes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Polnareff tries to like cut away all the tentacles from, from mm-hmm. Enya's face, and and he does so, but you know, Enya's still bleeding everywhere when they they cut up the tentacles they, they were also like trying to figure out oh is this this dude's stand or not and it's mm-hmm. not it is a fully developed flesh bud from dio because yes, when, it, when th- it gets this is like stage three flesh but flesh budism yeah so when the tentacles get cut up and they get launched into the into the sun because they're currently in the shade in this scene uh yeah they all dissolve and and mm-hmm. you know fade away and this whole time it is clear that Anyaba is being burned as an asset. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Dan of Steel is here to murder her, to keep her mouth shut, <laughs> and for, you know, because this is what happens if, if you fail Dio, you get killed. But her loyalty is so strong, mm-hmm. she doesn't even believe that's happening. Denial is, again, several stages of grief before puns. She's never going to get there. <laughs> But you can't really get loyalty in it, this kind of loyalty in hench people anymore. It's it's a lost art. Yeah, I feel like you don't really see that much in in, in stories these days. Just the completely not even brainwashed, just totally into just being a henchman. Yeah, one hundred percent. Their entire life. She loves to Dio that. with her whole heart, at, at least as much, maybe even more than she loved her son. Yeah. So yeah, Joseph is trying to get the info out of her, and she just. Nah, she won't give it away. And she just fucking dies. Just like mm-hmm. uh, Avdol, we see her get all like smoky and steamy. That's her spirit leaving her body again. And as this is happening, uh, Dan has just been pouring himself a little cup of tea at, at a little <laughs> roadside table. Yeah. Because <laughs> as, as soon as he re-enters the, the story, that's where he is. Just like watching an old lady die. Like, yeah, I killed her. Mm-hmm. Good job. Good for me. I get a gold star for Dan. I did it. Yeah. I did it. So while he's just sitting there drinking tea, like with one leg crossed, Jotaro's just like, hey, I don't care if you don't want to fight back at all. I'm going to punch you in the face really hard right now. (laughs) And he punches this dude square in the stomach, sends him flying. He gets all fucked up. He crashes through like a glass window. But Mm -hmm. the same time he does that, Joseph also goes flying in the background. An equal and opposite reaction, re- re- flying away from the same punch, but uh, from an unseen source in the opposite direction. Yeah. And then Dan of Steel says, perhaps the most stand user line I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. 
I was about to explain my powers when you hit me. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you... I'm not like that car guy. I love to explain my powers. Yeah. You took that moment away from me. It's not the same now. You already punched me. So lover's deal, the deal of the lover's is despite having a plural name, it's only one stand. Yeah. It's just which one makes thing. for some grammatically interesting choices. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, it's just a little guy. It's the littlest guy. Microscopic. The littlest, weakest, microscopic little guy. And Dan uses it to fly into people's brains uh, because all stands and users are connected and feel one another's pain. Mm-hmm. Any pain that Stan feels is transferred to the stand, which is then transferred directly to the brain of whoever the lovers is in the brain of their yeah. brain. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> As this all gets explained, I do not know if this is the stand's power mm-hmm. or if this is a stand that doesn't really have a special thing. And it's mm-hmm. just like, Dan came up with this very Joseph Joestar style plan right. to to get great effect over the tiniest, physically weakest stand of all. Yeah, I'm still not clear on that either, if that is the actual ability or if it's just a clever thing he came up with it. Because it seems like the, the ability of his stand is just that he can get, he's just little and can go into brains and, and touch brains with his little bug claws. <laughs> Yes. Also, yeah, we get we we see the camera zoom into Joseph's brain, and yeah, the lovers is just like a little humanoid bug guy. I like him. He looks cool. He almost kind of looks like he was drawn by Akira Toriyama. He's that got that kind of like frame yes. to him. Yeah. Like if Cell were a little hunched over, had like crab claws. And was yellow instead of green. That's kind of him. No, no, he's definitely in the same aesthetic family as the initial design of Cell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while Dan is explaining this, he also like gives a live demonstration because there's like a little boy with a broom sweeping up the sidewalk and he just Mm -hmm. pulls out some money and goes, hey, kid, hit me in the leg hard with that broom. (laughs) And the kid asks no follow up questions. (laughs) He is down for this. So yeah, he just bonks him in the in the leg with this broom, and it fucks Joseph's leg up pretty hard. It like goes numb. Yeah, that kid seems pretty strong, actually. Yeah, and and Dan explains that like whatever pain he feels, the pain that gets reflected on the other person, it's amplified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's worse than what Dan feels, uh, and so he just starts listing all the ways, all the things that could happen to Dan that would utterly fuck up Joseph, like. Uh, getting hit by a baseball. Yeah. Getting in a car accident. Pretty bad. Yeah. He cracks his knuckles, mm-hmm. and that causes Joseph to feel pain in his hands, even in his robot hand. Yeah, yeah, because the robot hand's wired to his brain, and there's a little cute little guy in his brain. Look at yeah. that guy. He's fucking yeah. with his brain. <laughs> And so Jotaro just immediately goes in to bash Dan's face in. And Kakyoin just has to, like, grab Jotaro's arm and go, like, bro, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> You're going to cave in Grandpa's face. <laughs> and Polarev <laughs> says, yeah, he just might. He knows. Yeah. <laughs> this is Jojo we're talking about. <laughs> I've heard this guy ding-dong ditches and, and doesn't pay for meals at restaurants. He's, he's oh, capable of dude. anything. Yeah, this guy's fucked up. 
But I, I love the, the moment where uh, Jojo realizes what is happening and that someone is harming his grandpa that he has learned to love so much over the course of this journey. Yeah. And like we, we get a, a like zoom in on his eyes and the screen all goes red and we hear his inner monologue, which is just super crunchy anger music. Yes. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> And th- this starts kind of Dan's whole thing. Dan doesn't Dan doesn't fight. Like we're in the fight right now. Essentially, it's yes. Started. Yes. And basically, all Dan does is walk around and go like, "Ooh, do you want to punch me? Do you want to <laughs> hit me really hard? How about hey, you know?" And he like opens up his shirt a bit, like you know, but pulls on the his lapels because he's got like a really deep V cut. Uh, and he's just like, "You can punch me right here. Just just punch a hole clean through my chest. Why don't you?" Here's a big rock. You want to hit me with it? He's like the opposite of Rubber Soul. I bet you do want to punch <laughs> yeah. a little guy. You love to punch the birthday boy. <laughs> you can't get enough of punching a little guy. There's an additional like stake here with Joseph's brain in that it's not just that the Lovers is in there. The Lovers has also, like he did with, with Enya, he has brought in a flesh bud into Joseph's brain. Yes. And he's going to water it and, and give it some miracle grow and lots of, lots of nice direct sunlight so that in 10 minutes, Joseph's head will explode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Dan's self-confidence. And the thing I love about it is that when uh, Jojo looks like he's going to just tear his head off regardless of what it does to Joseph, he, it breaks. Yeah. He is yes. afraid. <laughs> Yeah, it, this happens multiple times where he's just like, "Oh fuck, <laughs> oh, oh no, oh, oh, oh no. this guy, this guy's gonna punch me really hard," and then it comes right back, and that that's what makes it fun to watch that that texture of it that it is conditional and not just like <laughs> he, he's not a monolith of smugness. There there is fear at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Dan had picked up a rock, saying like, "Damn, don't you want to hit me over the head with this rock?" And you know, once. Kakyoin like grabs uh Star Platinum's arm again mm-hmm. to go like do you cannot punch this guy your grandpa will explode which proves Kakyoin is maybe the strongest human being alive yeah right being able to just grab <laughs> grab it well he doesn't grab it physically himself he uses higher fan green but still 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 uh, and this is where, like, Jotaro, it, like, finally sets in for Jotaro that, like, damn, he really can't punch this guy at all, and that's his thing. Mm-hmm. And he just has to, like, sit there and, like, take this abuse from, from Dan of Steel, because, like, Dan just starts punching Jotaro in the stomach with this big rock he picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, However, it is time for Kakyoin, Joseph, and Polnareff to engage the famed secret technique. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows the technique by now. It's not a secret. It's time to fucking run away. <laughs> yeah, their idea is just like, hey, Jotaro stays here and just tries to keep Dan physically away from Joseph. Mm-hmm. We run really far away and maybe we'll get out of the the range of Dan's stand. Uh, uh, this episode and even the, the next fight after this two-parter really starts mm-hmm. to, to describe the uh, um, trade-off of stand strengths. Because the lovers is so physically weak, uh, it, it's mentioned it doesn't even have the strength to to move a single strand of hair. <laughs> yeah. It makes up for that by having a practically limitless range. There, there is no way they're going to get Joseph far enough away that the lovers is unable to mess with his brain parts. 
Yeah, like Dan is thinking to himself, like, ah, that you know, them running away isn't going to do shit. I can command my stand up to hundreds of kilometers away. So, yeah, you just cannot escape this little dude, mm-hmm. this little guy. So, yeah, Jotaro is, is staying, staying with Steely Dan just to keep him occupied in some way and uh, keep him from hurting himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep him from hurting himself, basically. You know, Dan seems like he's going to have fun with this. Oh, you know, yeah. Because he's just he's basically just constantly threatening to fuck himself up <laughs> unless Jotaro does something degrading for him. Mm-hmm. And Jotaro immediately tells him, like, stares Dan straight in the eyes and says, I'm going to make you pay for all this shit that you're yeah, doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I can't fuck you up right now, but when I can, you're getting fucked up. <laughs> Bully me all you want because it's com- it's coming. It's coming back. Yeah. And it starts with stealing uh, Jojo's watch. And his wallet. Yeah, yeah. he just we, Dan just digs into his pockets and just takes his shit. We can't say Steely Dan, but, but we can name drop uh, Tag Hoyer for some yes. reason. They're okay yeah. with it. I guess there's there's no such thing as bad publicity for a watch. The rest of the gang are, they're running around looking for a place so that they can look into Joseph's brain. And they get up to a, a, a store with, you know, a whole bunch of display TVs mm-hmm. so that they can use Hermit Purple to uh, get, get a look inside Joseph's brain and find the stand. Mm-hmm. They are inventing endoscopic surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not really, because minimally invasive procedures have been developing for, you know, decades by then, since really the beginning of the 20th century. But new yeah. tech was constantly redefining what minimal meant. And uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, their technique for, for performing brain surgery is Kakyoin theorizing and being correct about the idea that it's possible to change the size of your stand if you try really hard. Yeah, yeah. If you wish on a star hard enough, you can shrink down any stand to be microscopic. Kakyoin and Polnareff flex really hard and grunt a bunch. And yeah, they're able to make their stands really tiny. So the, the stands go on a fan, uh, go on, on a fantastic voyage to, to fight some mm. body wars against the invisible enemy in inner space. <laughs> and if you can think of any more media that uses the same general plot, I'll make a more complex sentence. Okay. But- <laughs> and yeah, we, we get a shot of them just hopping into Joseph's ear and just whooshing down his ear canal. Mm-hmm. So So this is... Where I would say the fight really begins, this is where I draw the line, because what I love about this fight is that all four are participants. It it is a real team effort. Jojo's got eyes on the stand user and is keeping him from from doing all the harm that he could otherwise, while Joseph is letting the others see into his brain, as well as participating as the (laughs) battlefield. (laughs) Yeah. And and, uh, Silver Chariot and uh, a Hierophant Green are rushing in as the, the most active participants in the battle. I love that you have for a stand that is technically super weak. You got to get all four of these guys working together to fight it. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the only way it'll work out. So Steely Dan and and Jojo are walking around town. They get up to like a little like drainage canal or something that's about you know the same width as Jojo is tall, like six feet or whatever. And Dan says like, "Hmm, I want to walk over this, Jojo. You be a bridge." <laughs> I know there's a bridge like 10 feet that way, but that's so far. Yeah. And Jojo like is still like a little has his pride here and he he doesn't do it at first. He hesitates. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to do it. Dan just like smashes his leg up against like a little like pylon or whatever. Mm -hmm. It cuts over to Joseph. He's just like, fuck. (laughs) 
and he, he loses concentration. His hermit purple deactivates. Everyone loses sight of his brain for a second there just because his legs hurt really fucking bad. Mm-hmm. So, so this convinces Jojo to actually go along with it. And Dan is right when he says that Jojo's bridge skills are impressive. He makes <laughs> yeah. for an incredible bridge. He's really good. You can even stomp down on his hands and he's still bridging. Bridging so good. Yeah, like Dan stays on top of just of, of Jojo's back for a bit and just like jumps up and down on him and stuff <laughs> before he like grinds his his heel on, on his hands and on his back and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, they cutting back to the others again. Uh, Hermit Purple has switched views on the TV. It's no longer his the actual inside of his brain. And now it's like giving projecting a medical diagram of Joseph's entire brain, like a cross section of it. Yeah. And Kakuin knows exactly where to go and how to get from point A to point B. Like his school must be really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't but... know what kind of high school anatomy classes you're getting that go into this sort of granular detail, but damn. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, the lovers is basically located right at at joseph's brainstem they've gone in through the ear and so they're gonna like they're gonna cut into one of his veins and ride through the the veins until they they reach the the brainstem pulling up to springs at the point like our stands are like ghosts can't we just phase through everything but no they are too tiny and the the the, everything in the brain is too thick to pass through now ah yes yes yeah yes of course now it switches back to like the actual live feed of Joseph's brain on the TV and Joseph just sees Silver Chariot just cut through his vein and uh he just goes like oh god <laughs> and like almost passes out. Oh poor old guy. Poor guy. I know. I don't know why but Joseph keeps getting the the, the stands that attack him. He keeps getting like the big body horror ones. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He had the big growth and now like before he had basically cancer and now he's got like some type of brain disease. Mm-hmm. Like but yeah, they're they're swimming through his 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 veins now and uh it cuts back to Dan and Jojo just walking around town and Jojo's really pissed and to be continued. <laughs> To be continued in episode 17, The Lovers Part 2. So we get a scratching scene? Yes. Yeah. Tell me about the scratching. Dan of Steel is just like, hmm, my my back is itchy. Hey, Jojo, can you come uh, scratch my back a little bit here? And one, the sound effect of Jojo scratching Dan's back sounds like he's scraping his fingernails up against something metallic. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on there. But yeah, it's, you know, scratching his back and like, no, 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 down a little bit. Okay. A little bit harder. Okay. No, too much. Scratch, scratch softer. And the whole time JoJo's doing this, uh, it cuts over to Joseph and it just feels like he's being tickled by a ghost. <laughs> and so he keep he starts giggling and screaming a whole bunch and he can't help it because it tickles so much. And now a crowd has gathered around these two teenage boys, this old man who is screaming and they think there's something wrong with this poor old man. And so they just start throwing change at the ground at them. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about your grandfather. <laughs> it's so sad when it gets like this. So I, I was curious about uh, uh, Dan of Steel's voice actor. So I went to like, mm. I searched, you know, Jojo Steely Dan voice. But before I got to the word voice, Google's autocomplete filled in Jojo Steely Dan X reader. <laughs> X reader? So yeah, there there are a lot of people writing, or at least hoping that people are writing some some steamy fic where uh, Steely Dan takes an interest in you, the reader. Oh my god! 
And that wow. that scratching scene, the eyes he makes, you know, it makes sense to me, honestly. <laughs> I, I get it. Out of all the characters I thought people would be writing shit about, for some reason, Dan is Steele, Steely Dan just never <laughs> no. occurred to me. Like, Dio makes the most sense out of anybody. Well, obviously. Like, no one's denying like that obvious. there's a lot of Dio stuff out there. <laughs> but, damn, okay. I guess so, sure. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just love that all of these people are, are so worried about the state <laughs> of this man that is screaming and almost touching a TV. <laughs> yeah. They see no vines. They... <laughs> Yeah, nothing. It's just this man's just screaming. I'm not sure about the rules. Like, could a non-stand user even see what Hermit Purple is projecting on the screen? Mm, like, I wonder. Sh- surely they would if he was karate chopping cameras. A Polaroid's a Polaroid. So by yeah. that rules, they might be able to see what's on the screen. Yeah. But from their reaction, it seems like maybe they're not. And they're just looking at okay. a guy scream at a blank TV. Hold up. Because, okay, sure, they can see stuff that is conjured onto a, a photo. Maybe they can see stuff on the TV, but the TV is a feat of his brain with stands in the frame. So are they just seeing his brain in those stands on the TV? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, Kakiwin and Polnareff are like, we got to get out of here. Let's just buy that TV and take it somewhere quiet. And so they do. <laughs> they just haul this little tube TV just to like an alley or something. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And it turns out that the idea you had a, a few episodes ago totally works. They don't need to plug the TV in for Hermit Purple to work. Yeah. They just they yeah. just sit it on the ground and it goes. <laughs> I mean, he, he's practicing. He's getting better all the time mm-hmm. at Hermit Purple. I, I do like the that they remember there are two threats inside Joseph's brain. Not only the stand, but also the flesh bud. Mm-hmm. We're, we're very worried about like getting this thing out at the root because you know flesh buds make people uh, extra susceptible to charisma. How could anyone <laughs> tell in Joseph's case? I remember Stroheim. He is very <laughs> susceptible to personal charisma. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Silver Cherry and Hierophant Green uh, make it to the brainstem. They find the little guy who is sitting there. Like there's a, a big writhing mass of tentacles growing behind him. Mm-hmm. And he is sitting on a big old pile of brain cells that he's just, like, mixing up with his little crabby claws. <laughs> uh-huh. Kakyoin is able to immediately deduce that he is mashing up the, the brain cells into a fine paste so he can feed the tentacles with them to make them grow faster. Mm-hmm. They, they start fighting the little guy. He, he can't fight very well. You know, they, they cut him across the head basically right away. Cause he's just a little guy. He's just a little guy. After Silver Chariot does that, he starts talking to Kakyoin, you know, turning to Hierophant Green to talk to him. And then behind him is another Hierophant Green going like, yo, that's not me. <laughs> that that ain't me. What are you doing? Who are you talking to? So, so yes. So, so the Lovers has disguised itself with the, the paste of Mr. Joestar's brain cells. Oh, no. <laughs> but he can't possibly use that trick again. There aren't enough left. <laughs> Yeah, that was all of them. Yeah. It was just that little pile. He's all done now. He's all out. Fresh out of brain cells. <laughs> oh, Grandpa. The lover shoots out of this this Hierophant green dummy and and punches Silver Cherry in the gut. This is a different lover's from the one that got cut up earlier. That one was also made out made up out of brain cells. Mm-hmm. And now whenever the lovers is getting cut up in into chunks, they are just splitting and dividing into more and more of him so they just they're a little guy but they keep multiplying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and now now it makes sense that it's the lovers 
Yeah. But whether the lovers has ever ever been plural before, I have no idea. But f- yeah, at, at least now it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Jojo is polishing Dan's shoes. Uh huh. You can't polish those shoes properly with just a rag or any of Mm -mm. your normal shoe shine equipment. No, no. Uh, Only the human tongue of a teenage boy can possibly (laughs) get these shoes as as shiny as they deserve to be. Yeah. And so he kicks Jojo in the face and tells him, you know, got to lick my shoes, bro. Uh, But before Jojo does anything else, he pulls out a little notebook Mm -hmm. from his from his coat and starts writing stuff down. And Dan's like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? And and Jojo, completely unfazed, just says like, oh, I'm just writing up all the degrading things you're having me do. I don't want to forget any of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Only a super cool delinquent tough guy has intimidating notes. <laughs> I'm going to stare you down with my little notebook. And like Dan doesn't get freaked out by that for a second. Again. <laughs> like, so yeah, the lovers is, is splitting up a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kakuin and... and Polnareff are having a hard time finding, like, the actual real, yeah, yeah, real little guy. Because every emerald splash that's taking out a part of the crowd is only making that part bigger after the multiplication. Same, same with, I mean, we don't see Silver Chariot do much. He's kind of just there. Yeah, he he did, he landed the first blow on the little guy. There's even a point where Polnareff is getting really, like, fatigued uh, keeping Silver Chariot microscopic. <laughs> and, like, he, he asks, like, please, I, I gotta step step out. I gotta go. And they're like, no, Polnareff, you have to hold on. We need your help. He does nothing. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> Kakuin does a pulls a lot of weight in this yeah, episode, this like, is, fight-wise. This is a both a team fight and a Kakuin fight. <laughs> Yeah, Kakuin does a lot of work. Like, if he weren't here, this fight would not go the way it, it goes. But yeah, they're trying to devise a strategy to, to find the real guy because mm-hmm. they they keep getting, you know, there's so many of them now that they are getting beaten up a little bit. It's just, they're an overwhelming force. And they're being taunted by the lovers who, who says that, you know, true power is, uh, uh, as the ancient Greeks said, comes from knowing thyself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I'm a weak little guy, and therefore I'm a strong little guy. They're being destroyed with the power of Plato. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That's the real standability. <laughs> Perhaps the true Stardust Crusader was self-awareness. You ever think of that? <laughs> Whoa. So there's like a little scene here where the dozens of the lovers are, are, are taunting everyone else. Mm-hmm. You're getting, like, tons of different little quick shots of them, like, dancing together, like, arm in arm. And they're all made of brain cell clay. Like, brain cells are so resilient and flexible. (laughs) I'm going to go make some terrible decisions now and feel very safe about it. (laughs) It's a really quick shot. But when they're done taunting, the dozens of of the lovers all pose, Mm -hmm. strike the same pose. But there's also a bunch of them like clinging onto the tentacles above and shining their eyes on them like spotlights. This dude is a party. I want to bring a DJ to Joseph's brain. Let's get fucked up. Come on. <laughs> it's the end of the world. Let's live a little. There's got to be a DJ stand, right? right? Th- there's going to be one at some point. If there isn't one by part eight at this point, I'll be shocked. <laughs> this is my stand marshmallow. <laughs> Seely, Dan, and Jojo are, Jojo are now at a jewelry store, mm-hmm. and Dan is telling him, hey, you have to steal that bracelet. You got to steal some shit for me. Use your stand. Slide, get, it, get it in the hole. Go, ghost yeah. it out. Come on. Let's go. 
if you don't steal it with your ghost, I'm just going to smash my arm through the glass and cut myself up mm-hmm. and uh, d- you know, do it myself. And Jotaro refuses, and this is what I was mentioning earlier, the continued herofication. Mm. We, we know that Jojo has a life as a shoplifter, and it's even the <laughs> first thing he used Star Platinum to do back before <laughs> he had a name for this thing. Yeah. But now, no, I'm a good boy who follows the path of righteousness, and it takes a lot to convince him to steal this bracelet. Yeah. Even for a good cause. Yeah, like, if you don't steal this bracelet, your grandpa's head is going to blow up. Fucking do it. He reaches Star Platinum's, you know, arm through the glass case and pulls it up through a a little, like, hole. Um, And the instant he does that, Dan just shouts to the shopkeeper, like, hey, that dude's stealing! (laughs) And a whole bunch of tough dudes come out to beat him up. There's these three dudes. They they look like your your average street toughs. Are they employees? Do they work here? (laughs) I don't know. They come from, like, the back room. Like, they were just waiting to be deployed to beat up a shoplifter yeah we don't have alarms here we have my cousins that's what we have (laughs) i pay him in sandwiches and they beat guys up (laughs) so these guys come out and like crack their knuckles and say you know hey where we're from shoplifters get their fingers cut off Mm -hmm. and the the scene transitions in one of the most like one of the most interesting cuts i think we've seen in the show so far we get a jewelry wipe (laughs) yes yeah dan reaches his hand into a different case while jotaro's getting clubbed with like bats yeah all all this is a distraction for him to take the piece of jewelry that he actually wants and as that cuts across the screen it wipes to the scene outside where they continue to beat jotaro (laughs) yeah they they kick him out of the store they spit on him a bunch he jotaro's just bleeding from the face all over the place Mm -hmm. and jotaro gets up and he just smiles he's not owned Thinking more on my point about the herofication, I don't mean to say that, like, uh, his character is inconsistent or changing without cause. I think there's a very clear cause. And I think it goes back to what I've been calling his mission statement in the Kakuin fight. Practically, in other words, with great power comes great responsibility, right? He is (laughs) meeting out justice to those who do not have the, the strength to defend himself themselves Mm -hmm. and now he has such incredibly such an incredible amount of strength through star platinum and also his crew this jewelry store is now the little guy that he can't pick on anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah jotaro is is slowly getting up off the ground you know smiling laughing dan's getting freaked out a little bit like you know what why are you still so cocky i don't know if we brought it up but there's like a a theme that kicks in a lot when it's like time for jo- for Jotaro to turn the tables and fuck somebody up. Mm-hmm. From this part onward, every Jojo gets their own unique theme when it's time for them to fuck stuff up. <laughs> so that starts kicking in right here. And Jojo tells uh, Dan that, you know, even though you're attacking us and all this, I don't think you've done your research very well. You clearly don't know how good we are at fighting stand users. <laughs> Not just how good we are, but you don't know my good friend Kakyoin. <laughs> yeah, and it cuts over to Kakyoin, who just the good boy has a good idea now. Hell yes, he knows how to how to win this fight. 
And it's kind of like a, a, the 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 trick we've seen before with him. A little different this time. Mm-hmm. But the whole time they've been fighting, he's been doing that little trick where he's sending out like his tentacle feet to spread all over the ground and wrap around everybody. And this time, he's using those tentacles to feel up all of the different stands so he can figure out which one's the real guy. Yeah, which one feels like something other than brain cell clay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're going to say that every element of uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure has has a root in one of Araki's real life experiences, I think this comes from a time he went to a club and didn't notice something got stuck to his pants <laughs> and thought, oh, there's a story here. Oh. So, yeah, uh, it is time to fuck up the actual little bug man, not the many, many identical copies of the little bug man. And this isn't even a part where it's like, okay, maybe Silver Chariot, now that we know the real one, he leaps in, just stabs in the head. No, Kakui just goes ahead and blasts it with some emeralds. He just goes right ahead, blasts him right in the head. It cuts back over to Jojo and Dan, and his head just, blood just gushes out of his forehead. Mm -hmm. High velocity. And now it is time for, yet again, perhaps the final overdrive, as uh, uh, Joseph clutches his own head and zaps himself with uh, his special light breath magic to Mm -hmm. uh, uh, annihilate the flesh bud. No no need to remove it. He, He can just get that. Yeah. It is nice to every once in a while just see him use Hamon. Mm-hmm. Just for the hell. Like, I like it. I have always wondered, like, what if you just vaporized it right at the start? Yeah, yeah. I, you know. <laughs> I, I was looking, and apparently the, the manga never shows how they get rid of the flesh bud. The, the, oh. It's entirely focused on the stand fight. Okay. So I think showing it happen is a good choice, and placing it here... Uh, in, you know, the big climactic turnaround is the proper placement, but it does raise the question. (laughs) At this part of the fight, the the stand isn't like actually defeated yet. It's just been injured. And so it starts Mm -hmm. burrowing through Joseph's brain to escape. And when it starts to run away, that's when Kakiwin says like, yo, Joseph, you should take care of that thing now. So maybe the stand would have like kept it growing or something if you try to use hormone on it i don't know yeah i'm i'm sure you could come up with an explanation but slotting it in would ruin the pacing of the the big turnaround moment yeah and it's like it's not like a big thing where i even the first time i was watching this i don't ever remember going like why did you use hormone right at the start like (laughs) it's it's fine the way it is but yeah, so the lovers just shoots out of Joseph's Joseph's ear and goes, you know, flying back to this guy to return to Dan. Which means it is safe to kick Dan's ass. <laughs> uh, which starts with uh, Jojo grabbing a fistful of his hair and tearing it out, which makes a crunching noise. <laughs> yeah, it sounds crunchy. Like he just, like he grabbed a fistful of chips how, and, and crushed them. How much hair gel you got, Dan of Steel? Dan of the Steely <laughs> Hair? What what is going on with you? I mean, his his hair does like fan out like uh like Meryl's hair does in Metal Gear, so it's probably <laughs> a good amount of product. I don't know. But yeah, Dan, uh, you know, blood all over his face. He he falls to the ground and wraps his legs around JoJo and and does the the rubber sole thing of like, oh geez, I'm so sorry. And he starts licking JoJo's shoes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but he doesn't want, you know, a reversal. He, he doesn't want to be paid back in kind. He wants to be paid back in punching. I, I love this moment. Like, he's he's licking jo, Jotaro's uh, shoes a bunch just to buy time so that the lovers can fly back to him and go into uh, Jojo's ear. Yeah. 
And I love this shot of seeing the lovers getting very close to entering JoJo's ear. Like the camera's really close and you just see Star Platinum just materialize right behind JoJo, taking up like the whole frame. He does like the really cool like aura aura like grunting sound. Mm -hmm. But instead of doing really fast punching, he just very quickly pinches... pinches the lovers between his fingers that's precision baby he, he can grab yeah. a microscopic little guy and <laughs> this is where we learn star platinum has fingerprints yeah yeah it zooms in so far <laughs> that you can see the fingerprints on his stand i wonder if they're jojo's fingerprints or if they're different mm. Mm. well it's a good thing he always dumps his bodies in the ocean <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so yeah he he has the lovers in between his index finger and thumb just barely squishing it and it's like super fucking dan up like his leg <laughs> one of his legs and one of his arms are broken all of a sudden just from getting squished a little bit mm-hmm. but we can't forget that the reason uh star platinum was able to to snatch the lovers out of the air is yet another kakuin assist yeah 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 hierophant green's tentacles never let go of the lovers this whole time <laughs> Yeah, it, there's one long thread wrapped around this guy. Actually, this gets revealed a, a, like a little bit later because JoJo is like telling Dan like, hey, I could just crush this and you'll just like explode. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you promise to just like give up and just run away and never show your face around us again, you know, I'll let you live. Uh, he tells him like, if you show up again, I'm going to punch you 1000 times. Yeah, which is quoting me. And I don't I actually I do appreciate that. <laughs> And so Jojo goes to leave. We see some little kids in the background playing. Dan sends the lovers into a little girl's ear, pulls out a switchblade and says, hey, if you don't let me stab you, I'm going to kill that little girl. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is the reveal of the, the, the tentacle. Stand users just love to, to take children as hostage. They really do. They can't get they enough really of do. it. It's like Dio tells them like that. that's a thing they got to do to get hired. <laughs> It's a qualification. It worked pretty well for me. <laughs> yeah, on their job application, would you take a child hostage? Check yes, check no. <laughs> Immediate disqualification if you say no. I've been looking through everyone's HR records, Lord Dio, and I've come up with a worrying thought. <laughs> we might have hired a bunch of child murderers. Not like my wonderful noble son, the perfect boy. <laughs> So your application says that you are already a child murderer. How can you bring that ex- expertise to this job? I thought I might murder some children, actually. Oh, perfect. You see, the good boys love children. So that'll be great. But yeah, this is the reveal of like Kakuin's Hierophant Green's tentacle still being wrapped around the lovers because Jotaro, who you know noticed this because of his, his stand, super good eyesight and stuff, mm-hmm. Is like, okay, yeah, go ahead. Just try and stab me. And Hierophant Green just yanks the stand out of the little girl's ear. And it just goes flying into like the, the distance. <laughs> and Jojo grabs Dan's hand and stabs Dan with his own knife, like in the cheek. Yep. And then it is time for the promised 1,000 punches. Oh, this is this is good. <laughs> this pummel just keeps going. And going. It is like, it, it feels like it's a full minute of punching. <laughs> You get one shot of Dan getting punched, you know, rapid fire a whole bunch. It goes on for like, you know, 10 seconds or something. And then you think, okay, it's about to cut away to him, you know, getting punched into the, into the, into the sun or something. And no, it just cuts to a different shot of him getting punched. <laughs> and it happens like three times. And there's one time like he gets uppercutted across the stomach and you think, oh, he's going to fly out of frame. But no, Star Platinum grabs him, like catches him so he can punch him more. 
<laughs> and yeah, he eventually just gets punched so hard he goes flying like through a clock tower and he's probably dead. Probably. I don't know how he would live <laughs> being punched 1,000 times by punches that are like gunshots. <laughs> It's not only the longest, you know, pummeling we've seen from Star Platinum. I think it's the the most dynamic. Like we are seeing, uh, just the the smooth animation of the way Dan's body is is like bending and and caving in uh, uh, around yeah. these these strikes. Yeah, like after a while, like there's like impact, like craters, like permanently dented into all all over his body <laughs> from these punches. And the episode ends with Jotaro pulling out that that notebook he had earlier of all the the degrading things he was forced to do. And he just like signs his name on it and tears it out and just says like, here's your receipt. And he just walks away. (laughs) And so ends the the most involved haggling procedure I've ever seen. I hope the kebabs are worth it in the end. That seemed like a lot of effort. Yeah, they like... They got dropped on the ground, but they were in a bag, so they're still good. Did they go back to get them? <laughs> I hope they went back to get the kebabs, unless the kebabs also had, like, flesh buds in them or something. <laughs> Maybe that's what was roasting. It was just a giant flesh bud. Ugh. That was Dio meat. Oh, gross. Though it's the most it's the most charismatic meat you'll ever buy, so it probably convinces you that it's That's true. Good. I, I mean, it sells itself. Yeah. <laughs> So that brings us to episode 18, The Sun. And they're always trying to, to find new ways to, to uh, show the, these semi-formulaic episodes. This time, we start in media res and cut to a flashback. Yeah. That hasn't happened before. Yep. The, the episode starts in the sweltering desert. The sun looks extra big today. Mm-hmm. Extra angry. It looks like the angry sun from Mario 3. It does. Like, it really does. It's super pissed off. But we get some shots of some of like a, a water canteen that's got like a gunshot hole in it. Uh, exploded binoculars. binoculars. Yeah. yeah, exploded binoculars. And our and four it, boys are, are in a hole. They seem ready to die. <laughs> yeah, they are gasping for air. They are sweating profusely. And Joseph is barely able to form a full sentence even just saying like, damn, I can't believe we, f- we fell for this. And the camera pans up to, again, the super gigantic angry sun. And so then we start our flashback. We last left off chronologically in Karachi. So now, now we have to explain how we got to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they sailed uh, across the Indian Ocean toward the Persian Gulf. To, to get to the United Arab Emirates after they, quote, chose to avoid the political unrest in Iran and Iraq. Yeah. We're meant to be in 1988, right? Yeah. So that's like the ceasefire of the Iran-Iraq war. Yeah. And this chapter is being published just a few months before uh, Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. Yes. So yeah, I, I could see calling that <laughs> political unrest. You, you might not yeah. want to get involved in that, either as characters or as an author. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's just go around that. Yeah. Also, regardless, I can understand these four characters not feeling welcome in the Ayatollah's Iran. <laughs> uh-huh. They seem a little too flamboyant for that sort of thing. Hmm. So, so yes, they are in the UAE. It's going to be weird as an audience to see a version of the Emirates without the huge megastructures of Dubai. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like Dubai has exploded in popular media like since the Burj Khalifa went up. And this is many years before that. Uh, so they are at like a, a, a dealership. 
Yes. A car dealership? Joseph is buying a car and he's signing a a, a surprisingly well-animated shot of Joseph like actually signing his signature, Mm -hmm. actually following the letters and all that pretty well. Uh, He is signing a check for (laughs) $455,833.30. It is a big check he's Well, you know, tax. Yeah. And just for reference, that is $50,000 more than the Ferrari F40, the fastest and most expensive production car of the time. In fact, the Ferrari was close to twice as expensive as even the limited production supercars that outperformed it. And as as Joseph is signing that, that fat check, uh, Polnareff just found a random lady who has legs and therefore... <laughs> Yeah, has legs and has the same cool shoulders as the main cast. Mm-hmm. Yet she's not important. Strange. Uh, yeah, he, he's trying to woo this lady. Uh, Joseph walks up behind him. He's got that manila folder from the car purchase, and he just bops Polnareff's hair with it, and it fucks it up. It just goes all over the place. And watching Polnareff put his hair back together raises more questions than it answers. <laughs> Yeah, it just slowly forms back into its original shape, and while it's happening, you hear like the like a rewind sound effect, <laughs> like his hair is traveling back in time into its proper shape. You ever watch a duck like put its feathers back in af- after like they they got out of uh, shape for whatever reason? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Very strange. Very strange. I wonder if Ponerup's hair, if, if water just rolls off it like. That. <laughs> Well, you, we know you can embed car keys in it with no trouble whatsoever. Mm. Man, you could probably, like, carry a lot of stuff in there, honestly. He's not carrying his bag anymore. That stuff's got to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I just wish you could just hear his hair just rustling all the time, like stuff jingling and shaking around in there. So the four good boys are cruising around Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. and looking at all of the huge mansions there. Yes. And Joseph explains that, you know, with with the the explosion in oil wealth, most people live in luxury here. Most people? Most Mm. people? Mm. Like, okay, I'm talking, you know, 30 years in the future, but I bet that that they were importing practical slave labor to build those mansions back then, too. Yeah. And it takes more people to build those houses than to live in them, so most people... But yes, you can tell it is Abu Dhabi because there is a yeah. little gray cat in the background climbing out of a UPS box. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> There's a lot of fan art for some reason of Garfield characters as JoJo characters, <laughs> by the way. There's... there's There's been quite see, a few... I can see Garfield as Jotaro. <laughs> There is quite a few John Arbuckles as JoJo's in, in, the, in that style with Garfield as his stand. Yeah. It's, I don't know why that property crosses over with JoJo so much in people's minds for fan art, but it, it's happened pretty frequently, I feel. <laughs> Polnareff was asking Joseph, like, hey, why the fuck are we buying a super fancy car? Don't we need to, like, cross a desert soon? Don't we want something that's good at, like, off-roading? And Joseph doesn't tell him why. He just says, you'll see. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Shut up. I've got a plan. <laughs> I've got a better plan. And, and so the, the plan is to get to the, this village closer to the interior. And from there, they can take a, a Cessna uh, all mm. the way. I mean, wherever they want to go. Like they're, they're getting over their fear of flying because they figured out you can get planes that don't have any strangers on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And, and Joseph says, you know, I know how to fly the little planes, so, you know, there you go. It'll just be us. And JoJo says, yeah, sure you fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And on one thing, okay, yeah, that's a better plan for getting a plane that's less likely for it to get fucked up. But we've seen people with a stand that's a boat and a stand that's a car. How you know there's not somebody that's got a stand that's a plane? <laughs> You're going to have to dogfight a stand. Also, how good is Joseph's like real estate business that he's dropping cash to buy a luxury car and a Cessna on the same day? Yeah, he's got to be dipping into Speedwagon Foundation funds, right? <laughs> He, he must have access to that stuff. I watched this movie, grandson. Greed is good. <laughs> so yeah, they, they talk about their, their you know, plan and how they're going to get to the cess and all that stuff. They park uh, pretty close to the desert and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, from here on out, we're going to ride camels because that'll be way quicker. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he got the super fancy car was so he could trade it for a whole bunch of expensive camels. Yes. Yes, because the the car is more attractive as a trade than any other sort of car they could have bought. And also, for some reason, they don't take cash out here in Camel Village. Yeah, bartering is the better solution than just bringing in cash, apparently. So here you go. One fancy car for four camels, please. The way Joseph explains this trade is basically a new economic theory that posits (laughs) exchange value is simply a subset of use value when you're describing commodities. This revolutionary thought has destroyed Karl Marx from beyond the grave. (laughs) Damn it. Who was probably a stand user. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah, most likely. They're, they're training this car for... And, like, the guy who owns the camels is also shocked that he's just getting this big-ass fancy yeah, car. Yeah, like, whoa, this is way too much car for the amount of camels I have. And Joseph's yeah. like, okay, then give us that water. Give us this. Give us this. Okay, big handshake. Love you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And then we get a long extended scene of Joseph explaining how to ride camels. Yeah, yeah. Before we even get to this point, he has insisted to the group that he understands the ways of the camel. And now I want a flashback to young Joseph with like young <laughs> Joseph's voice actor and everything learning the ways of the camel. Yeah. So jo- Joseph is talking about like, okay, to get on the camel, first you just got to like tug on the reins a little bit so they go sit down because they're really tall Mm -hmm. and then you just you know sit up on the the saddle and then they get back up and they're bada bing bada boom there you go it's it's not so much a bada bing bada boom we learned that camels are much harder to control than vampire horses if if you were to put (laughs) them on a spectrum yeah i don't and you can't just shoot hormone through the reins to make them behave so (laughs) well Uh, the other three can't it's it's not like demonstrating that technique is going to help anybody (laughs) but him that's true Joseph is really struggling to get the camel to do anything. <laughs> and and Polnref is like, are you sure you've done this before? You know how to do this? And Joseph just says, yeah, I've watched Lawrence of Arabia three times. Start to finish. <laughs> but two of those times I fell asleep halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's a lot of Arabia in it. It's a big there, movie. It's a lot. Even the, the aspect ratio. It's a big movie. <laughs> <laughs> The camel slobbers all over Joseph's face. He sets this good sunscreen if you if that happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I love the ways they underline that Joseph has become just such a dad. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. and such a rich dad. Like yeah, he's got a taste for luxury cars. He falls asleep in dad movies, but he loves to watch <laughs> them all the same. 
Mm-hmm. Joseph pulls out like an apple and he's finally able to tempt the camel to get down to get the apple so he can get on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then he starts shouting random camel facts like they can close their nostrils to keep sand out. Anyways, let's go. Everybody. This is the proudest moment of his life, though, when he finally gets the camel to do something he wants. <laughs> yeah. This is roughly equal with the birth of his beloved babied daughter. <laughs> He, he starts explaining that you got to be careful when riding a camel because it's different than riding a horse mm-hmm. because the way they walk, it's different. Mm-hmm. So you sway side to side more. And he's like, check it out. I'm riding this camel. And you don't they don't animate that. Rather, you just see the rest of the gang like completely stone faced, just their eyes darting back forth, left and right. as he's just going like, I'm riding a camel. Whoa, check it <laughs> out. Check it out. Well, you know, the, the so many man hours went into the signature scene. Yeah. Joseph, like, uh, crashes the camel or something, and it just hard cuts to him, all bandaged up, but, like, he has band-aids over, like, the lapel of his shirt and stuff. He hurt, his shirt got hurt. He got a shirt hurt his shirt. shirt got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. They've all gotten under camels. They're riding through the desert. These camels are huge. They're they're fucking huge. When you saw Joseph... The boys are still bigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The shot of Joseph getting on the camel when it's like in full in frame, it makes it look the camel look like it's 12 feet tall. Yeah. It looks fucking huge in that shot. But then when the boys are on the camel, they're massive. They're very big boys. <laughs> They've beaten, eaten all their meals. So they're continuing in the desert uh, further west towards Cessnaville, I guess. Mm-hmm. We get the next installment of a running thing that we failed to mention when it began. Kakuin mm. feels like they're being followed. He has a sense yeah. that they're being watched everywhere they're going. And as they look around, completely isolated in, in this desert landscape, he still feels it all the same. Yeah. And everyone's just like, well, you know, Jotaro's scanning every, the horizon with binoculars. There's nothing. They go, okay, well, we just need to get as far as we can before it's nighttime. We'll set up some tents. It's too dangerous to go around, you know, walking around at nighttime. Let's see what time it is. And Joseph opens up his pocket watch and it's already 10 after 8. Mm-hmm. It's already nighttime, but it still looks like daytime outside. <laughs> That's not right. Something's going on here. Hmm. And then they all ask, why isn't the sun going down? And the camera looks at the sun and it's fucking huge. It's and so big. Looking. It's really big. It's like the sun stepped down from on high and just like is just walking around the surface of the planet at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so close to the ground. And it's just like throwing off arcs of, of plasma and, and you know, it, it's corona. It looks less like the sun and more like you know, uh, uh, NASA renders of the sun in different, like, <laughs> wavelengths, right? Yeah. It, it looks like you're seeing the, the sun's x-ray field. Yeah. And so this cuts to, like, the commercial bumpers where it introduces the stand, the sun. Yes. And before we've even seen the user, it names the user Arabia Fats. Arabia Fats, of course, named for the the jazz uh, for the jazz musician Fats Domino, and also named for the concept of Arabia, just the, <laughs> the general geographic peninsula, I guess. This is another one of those instances where the stand user is never actually named in the manga, and they only got named later mm-hmm. for like the arcade game and other fighting games and stuff. So yeah, they're they're tracking the temperature over their conversations. It goes from they're they're giving all of the the temperatures in Celsius naturally. I put them in my notes uh, as Fahrenheit conversions, just mm-hmm. for uh, um, that that visceral impact of bigger numbers. 
bigger number. Their first check, it's 122. Fuck. The second check, <laughs> only minutes later, they're up to 140, which I think is where you start to feel like you're dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In case you weren't before. Yeah. Uh, so, so now that we're past the commercial bumper, like, they, they need to go. They're like, we're in danger. The stand is somewhere around. It's probably mm-hmm. that big angry sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, they're trying to come up with a plan. And I'm thinking, just hold the run button, time your jumps properly. It's a, it's a deceptively <laughs> simple level, uh, all told. Yeah. <laughs> It's got a big wind up where it spins in a circle before it comes and gets you. <laughs> so you know when it's coming. You know, there's not much to take cover behind. There's just some small rocks they're able to jump behind and get a, the smallest amount of shade possible. Mm-hmm. They've abandoned their camels, which are starting to pass the fuck out. <laughs> yes. The camels just dropping one after another. Welcome to Dogs Must Die. Camels Must Collapse. It's the <laughs> sequel to Frog Mischief. <laughs> And so they're trying to theorize what the nature of this stand is, like how far away is the user? Can it be like the lovers? Is it a super long range remote stand? And Joseph's like, no, no, this stand is way too strong. It's like melting plants. Mm -hmm. There's a there is a shot of a scorpion that it walks around, it stops, it shudders and it just disintegrates. (laughs) It just gets vaporized. It doesn't like fall over and die. It just it turns to dust and blows away. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. As an inverse of the lovers, this is a stand that is so personally powerful, so energetic, the stand user cannot be more than a few dozen feet from it. Yeah. Kakuine is sending Hierophant Green out to survey the gigantic sun. He's trying to see how far away the sun actually is. So Hierophant <laughs> Green is just hurling towards the gigantic sun. I love I love that this has made Kakuine sound like a five-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious about the sun. I'm going to look at it. What I want to know about the sun is, how far away is that sun? <laughs> I'm just going to jump at it. Can I touch it? I'm going to get a ladder. Somewhere along here, we get another temperature check to 70 degrees Celsius or 158 degrees Fahrenheit. Jesus Christ. Which is the hottest weather a person can possibly survive long term, according to an unsourced Quora post. I am not an expert. I'm only repeating what I read. <laughs> Oh, man. So Kakyoin tries to shoot an emerald splash at the sun, and it just causes the the emeralds to reflect back at him. But now they're blazingly white hot. Mm -hmm. They shoot all over the place. They fuck Hierophant Green up. It strikes one of the camels dead. I made a joke weeks ago about camels exploding. Yeah. But I never imagined a camel would be killed by meteor strike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the, the reflected emeralds are, they're going all over the place. They pierce through all of their water canteens that were on the camel. Mm-hmm. They've got like a singular canteen now of water and that's it. I, I want to bring up something like when, when they're judging the distance, when they're sending a standout to do that, Polnareff says, you know, uh, it, it's impossible to know how far away that big glowy sun stand is, which is false. Mm-hmm. Like if... You just look at the angle of the shadows and you follow to yeah. the point where they would meet and that is where it is. And if the, the angles are so near parallel that you can't really tell, it's farther than any of your stands can reach. You, you've answered your own question with effective information, if not exact yeah. information. Poro's very dumb, though. Yeah, it's just that that's the sort of <laughs> idea that I expect to see in this show. Like the, the yeah, sort of, yeah. it, It's the right mix of weird thoughts and actual like facts about the world that i would Mm -hmm. expect to hear from any of the other three especially kakuin 
if Avdol were here, he'd probably do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Avdol seemed like the smartest of the bunch. Kakyoin is second, I think. He reads a lot. That's the thing. He'd, yeah, yeah. They try to retreat from the sun, so uh, Star Platinum punches the ground real hard to create like a big, like a cave for them to hide in. So, so they are insulated from direct rays, but Jojo, you've essentially built a brick oven. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get cooked. You will all be a big old pizza. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, everyone is just breathing really heavy, very sweaty. There's steam rising off all of their bodies. Yeah, they're they're starting to mist like Avdol. They're dying. They're dying. Yeah, they're they're getting cooked. Uh, there, there's another stream of of like bolts of flame coming off of the sun. This time, uh, it's it's when they're they're continuing to look out and trying to make a plan, and it breaks the the binoculars in half. Much like yep. we saw in in the opening shot, and and I do appreciate that this is a, a methodical, a strategic stand user who's not just trying to kill them, but trying to back them into a corner and taking out all of their supplies first: the camels, yeah. the water, even the binoculars. Uh, this is one of those episodes that uh, is part of the big uh, Japanese dub Joseph Joestar meme of him swearing in English a lot because he swears a lot. Yeah, in this episode. Uh, yeah, he does. There's a lot of holy shits and son of a bitches in this in this one. <laughs> now is the part where things start to get a little nutty. Yep. And I had no idea that JoJo's was such an influence on Beavis and Butthead do America until I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> because <laughs> it's time to have a bit of a hallucinogenic trip in the desert baby everyone's losing their minds it's getting super hot the we're getting the fisheye lens shots everything's getting all psychedelic looking yeah everyone just one by one just starts to break they just start cracking up and it's laughing. always the quiet ones because it's it's Kakuin, then jotaro then polnareff eventually in that order and joseph yeah. is the only one holding it together like this this is once the fight starts, really the whole episode, uh, uh, after mm-hmm. they, they leave the uh, dealership, uh, Joseph is our point of view character this week. Yep. And now he has to deal with a way to defeat this uh, uh, indefeatable stand, but also his backup, his companions, have all lost their minds. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. are the last resource he has lost access to. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Joseph is getting freaked out, just going like, oh, man, everyone's lost their mind. I'm the only one left who's sane. And that's been debatable for at least 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's like, grabbing uh, Jojo by, by the collar and trying to shake him and go, like, you know, trying to wake him back up and, and have him return back to reality. But Kakuin grabs him, grabs Joseph by the shoulder and says, no, 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 we're not going crazy. Something's just really funny, actually. <laughs> We're not going nuts because all the other three, everyone but Joseph has made a, a startling realization about how the stand works. Because they see a rock yeah. and they also see a second rock that looks disturbingly similar to the first rock. And they're pointing this out and Joseph is not putting two and two together. <laughs> yeah. This is where I will complain that things are a little out of character. Of all people on earth, how does Joseph Joestar not recognize a mirror trick? <laughs> yeah. Like, Joe Taro says, like, man, you must be, like, losing it in your old age. 
these two identical rocks near each other. One's a reflection, of course. The shadows don't match up. They're going opposite directions. Oh, I guess it's because there wasn't a clock visible in the mirror. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Jotaro just picks up a rock and very fluidly animated, pitches it real fucking hard mm-hmm. near this uh, one rock. And s- suddenly the rock just midair, it just shatters. Like there's just glass there. And then the sun immediately sets. It is it yeah. actually nighttime as it is meant to be. <laughs> You, you hear a sound effect like like someone unplugs something that had a lot of electricity going through it. So yeah, they walk up to where Jotaro threw that rock and there's just a big mirror there. And on the other side is a go-kart attached to the mirror with air conditioning and like a little drink cart. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's just like a, a short tubby little guy there's sitting in a chair. There's just a little guy with a t-shirt uh, uh, <laughs> to be named years later after publication as Arabia Fats. Yeah. With a giant welt growing on the side of his head where he got hit with a rock. <laughs> and, and Joseph's just like, oh, we're done? Yeah, yeah. You, you thought this was one of those slow burn episodes about insurmountable odds? Well, guess what? This is a fucking comedy episode. You got tricked. It's a bait and switch. It's one of the joke ones. <laughs> and so, yeah, the son has been defeated. He got clocked over the head with a rock. He's done. <laughs> Now, the sun represents found knowledge, happiness, contentment, vitality, self-confidence, and success. Kind of. I mean, success and beating him, contentness and figuring out the trick? I don't know. I mean, you gotta be pretty self-confident to be driving around all the massive uh, uh, mansions and luxury cars of Abu Dhabi with a go-kart and a mirror on the front. (laughs) Because everybody legal. else in the world just saw the the, the go kart part. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the 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 sun is defeated. Arabia Fast is defeated, and they've still got at least two camels alive. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole that guy that guy's go kart had a whole bunch of extra drinks and water in it, so they just took all of that. They probably should have taken the go kart too, honestly. <laughs> Especially since it's got air conditioning on it. That's pretty nice. So now we're we're continuing off to the desert. Are we still mm-hmm. gonna get a Cessna or not? I, I guess that's the big cliffhanger. Mm. As the narrator even closes out the episode doing a verbal rim shot. Yes, he does. <laughs> Just to underline that this this episode started as a funny one, it ended on a funny one, and in the middle, (laughs) when things were really bleak and tense, that was also a joke, but on you. Ah, they got us. (laughs) (laughs) This stretch of three episodes, I like all these. They're all pretty good. I like the middle bit of the sun a lot because it does feel like one of the most desperate fights so far, because it's just like, they're melting. They're Mm -hmm. just fucking melting. (laughs) It is a a real blend of a a very tense and desperate fight and a comedy fight because they they set up exactly what they need to do very early. The sun is insurmountable. We have to find and and punch the user. And that's what happens. And they find it by figuring out, you know, his his one weird camouflage trick. (laughs) It's not a lie while it is still a joke. Yeah. While like ambushing them in the desert where there's no cover. It is a pretty good use of that stand. What if also you just brought out the sun like in a heavy pop, heavily populated area or something? Because then it would be really hard to figure out who is using the stand. I guess he would be really hot too, though, because he did need air conditioning. So I don't know. Maybe he needs the go-kart to even like, <laughs> like, how do you? In a dense area, he could figure yeah. out a little hidey hole. Maybe. He seemed like a very clever guy. Perhaps 
he uh, uh, checked no on the would you take a, a child as hostage <laughs> question. You know, may, maybe, he, maybe he's not down for, for collateral damage like that. Yeah, maybe. I'm just thinking that the dynamics for that fight would probably be really different if you did it in a heavily populated area. And I could see that also being pretty cool. But then that would just be an episode of like hundreds of people melting to death, probably. Yeah. And we already had the fog episode with everyone being dead. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What do you think of these three episodes? I I had quite a bit of fun. I think um, there there is a lot of uh, uh, good character stuff in mm. the, the lovers two-parter Dan of Steel himself. <laughs> This is a time when uh, avoiding uh, uh, the, the lawyers of a successful 80s act makes something a lot more fun, actually. <laughs> Dan of Steel. We, is we a very float funny back name. and forth, I think, as people can tell between original and localized names. But no, he's not Steely Dan. He's exclusively Dan of Steel in my mind. <laughs> yeah. But he is, he's a guy with a couple layers that's a lot of fun to watch do his thing. I, I like the idea that he figured out one really good Joseph style trick and built his whole thing about that. And yeah, he, he's taken down by not being flexible, by like, know yourself, yes, but you fail to know your enemy, which is the point they make. And that's that's good. That's a good dynamic. Mm-hmm. And to layer that with a full uh, uh, team go where all four of them claim to have something to do three of them certainly do have something to contribute yeah that's good i like that a lot yeah and yeah just being able to play with and juggle tones the way the sun fight does does is also a really good uh, a palate cleanser for a a single episode fight as we're in the land of the two-parters mm-hmm. very securely now mm-hmm I mean, speaking of the, the land of the two-parters, our, our next three episodes are going to be covering uh, one fight each rather yep. than the middle one being split in half between two podcast episodes. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of other two-parters that are broken up by, you know, one episode fights later on. But yeah, the the upcoming ones. We've been very lucky to, to have that happen every time so far. But now eh, we're, we're going to... Stretch things out. Let 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 uh, these fights stand on their own merits. Yeah, the upcoming one I think is, a, from what I remember at least, like a really solid one that stands on its own pretty well too. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you all for joining us yet again as, as we move into, as we inch ever closer to Egypt. Uh, just one nation at a time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I would encourage everybody to uh, check out our, our uh, Let's Play channel uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube. We have finished by now, I believe, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake and are either in or perhaps completed uh, its uh, additional content uh, with yeah. the, the PlayStation 5 release. We might be done We might time. be finished I with it by just, now. I guess it just depends how, how big that DLC ends up being, yeah. We are recording this before that DLC is even released, so it's hard to judge how much yeah. time we're going to need to, to uh, spend on it. Yeah, my guess is like four hours, but who knows? By the time you're hearing this, you will know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, this project, that project, and many other things beside are all supported uh, on our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash chip and ironicus altogether. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to check that out and, and help us make these things and, and make them better. We do appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, speaking of next week's two-part fight, what what is that? What's the name? Oh, that would be Death 13. 
Death Thirteen. Damn. Yeah, that Death Thirteen, from what I remember, is gonna is a pretty fun one. That sounds like the name of the anime where everybody has whole horses power, but it's different guns. Yes, yes. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I love whole horses gun stand. <laughs> so does he. Sure does. And so we will see you then. See you later, everybody. To be continued.